Hello and welcome to Cornerstone, a Fair Temple Prep podcast. I'm Jacob Crapo. And I'm Conrad Campbell. Going to the temple for the first time can be pretty intimidating. It's a new experience and it doesn't help that when we talk about the temple, it's always pretty vague. Our hope with this podcast is to outline the foundational doctrine of the temple and share what we can so that you can feel confident when you go to the house of the Lord. This podcast has not replaced official temple prep courses, but hopefully complements what you will learn there. Welcome back to the Cornerstone Temple Prep Podcast. I am excited to be joined today by Conrad Campbell, my co-host, and our special guest today, Renee Kreiwold. Welcome, guys. Good to be here. Good to be here. Renee is joining us all the way from Vienna, Austria. He has had a long career as an apologist and volunteer with FAIR. One of his main interests is comparing different religious traditions and learning how to speak their language. Renee, I am excited to have you here so you can share your knowledge and experience with us. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your story and how you got involved defending the faith? Yes, of course. Um, well, basically, I, I uh, got in contact with the church first um, as a child, but my mom, who is an Italian, was very Catholic, and she switched from the church to Catholicism and back several times, probably uh, every two to three years. So I was baptized at age eight, but one year later, we were all not in the church anymore because of my mother. And I was very Catholic in that time. And uh, when I was 13, uh, I wanted to see for myself where to go and what to believe. Studied the Talmud, read the Quran, of course, in German, not in the original. Um, I had friends who were uh, J-dubs, friends who were uh, Protestants of different uh, denominations. I uh, attended their church services and their uh, religious education and tried to find my way. And then I found a Book of Mormon and um, read it. And my father, he was a, um, an agnostic and uh, he, he loved his philosophers. Uh, so he would read to us uh, Kant, Nietzsche, and Schopenhauer when we were just uh, going for a walk. And he would walk reading. And um, he put me to bed as a four-year-old with uh, French philosophers in French. Well, it was quite boring, to be honest. And, uh, well, then I was... Uh, when I was 13, I, and I found the Book of Mormon, I read and I liked what I read. And then I came to the famous uh, promise of, of uh, Moroni. And I thought, well, this is probably um, something like the, the scientific method. Try it out. There's nobody telling me you have to believe that and shut up. But in fact, it tells us to read, to think, and to pray. and then wait for the answer and do whatever we're told. So I thought that that's a scientific uh, way to do things. And so I did, and I received my answer. Half a year later, I was alone at home and uh, was um, trying to find things to do and found a book called 
I was a Mormon. Um, and it was by someone who claimed to have been um, a priest in the church. You know, priest. <laughs> For a Catholic, a priest is something, someone who has studied the faith and who knows his things. For us, if someone was just a priest, <clears throat> he probably was not active very long. Didn't know that back then, or didn't realize it better. So I, I read this book and it shook me uh, because there were so many things in there I, I'd never heard about. And um, there was nobody to ask because it was 10 in the night. So the only thing I could do was pray. And I prayed and um, asked God what to do. Um, was my faith built on a lie? And um, the answer was, read a chapter in the Book of Mormon. I said, which chapter? The answer was, any chapter. So I did. And I didn't find the answer there. But it calmed me down. So I prayed again and said, what should I do now? And the answer was, take this book, this anti-Mormon book, and um, find things that you know, th uh, know about. And if uh, those are portrayed correctly, you can trust, probably trust this book. But if it's not correct, why would you trust anything there? And I did that, and I found out that everything I could check was wrong. So I didn't trust. But then I decided I want to be the one who has the answers if anybody else gets in into this stuff and has a problem with it. And that began my, so to speak, career as an apologist. And when FAIR was uh, started, I was uh, the first... European member of FAIR. Um, yeah. my, my special interest is to, to compare uh, what other faiths believe because of my history, to understand how it all fits together and how to better communicate with them. Wow, that's a beautiful story, uh, Rene. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I appreciate how you talked about um, how you went back, you read the Book of Mormon, and, and you felt that peace. And just a testament to what it is, another testament of Jesus Christ. You can't have that peace. But speaking of peace, one place you can go to feel peace is, is the temple. Um, and today we're going to talk about um, secret versus sacred and really what, the, what that means. And uh, I remember when I was going to the temple for the first time, a lot of my friends were going and they didn't talk about a lot of stuff. And it was a little kind of a little confusing and a little concerning about like, well, how come we can't talk about certain things or certain aspects of the temple? Well, you know, if um, if we talk about the temple, there is there are lots of things that we can talk about. There are many details. I mean, basically, I have not found anything in the temple that I have not read also in the scriptures or that I haven't heard in conference or in classes. So there is no, no hidden information. And yet the thing as a whole is special. And I use this word because the Hebrew word for sacred, uh, kadosh, basically means, uh, means special, set apart, not something for 
the um, the average daily usage. And that's what the temple is about. It's not to to be um, made mundane or profane. It's special, and we should keep it special. And therefore, uh, we are careful of uh, what we say, in what context, and when, and to whom. Which probably, yeah, there are different levels in our world. World, sorry, about. Uh, what do we tell whom, when? So uh, we have classic secrets, trade secrets, for instance. Uh, in a bank, there are some, some probably there is a deal and only very few people are allowed to know about it. And when uh, this information is divulged to someone not in the know, then he has to be uh, on an insider list, f uh, for instance, and, and everybody needs to know, everybody who is in on this secret needs to know that now a new person knows about the secret. Um, and on the other hand, there is uh, no place, no time, uh, where people are allowed to talk about this, but it's just, if, if you know the secret, and I know it, we can talk about it in the elevator and on the bus. No, not on the bus. Because on the bus, others could hear it. So secrecy is about <clears throat> keeping information hidden. Another level would be uh, privacy. I mean, my, my um, living room is private. I don't want anybody who is not invited to come in. I don't want um, companies to know about the details of my living room. So probably if I have a, a vacuum robot, I may be careful not to share the layout of my living room with the cloud. Some people like it, some people don't. Anyhow, this is private. It's it's my thing and nobody else should know it because I don't want to unprivate those things. Another level could be um, intimacy. I mean, it's, it's not a big secret what uh, a married couple does or does not do uh, for intimacy. I mean, the, the, the possibilities of what could happen are limited. Um, and yet, most people don't go around and uh, write about uh, their intimacy on the internet in detail. Are they keeping something secret? No, it's intimate. And the same idea, the, the, the same kind of difference is with the sacred. The sacred is that which is held special for God. Uh, so God is holy. He is special. He is not. Um, we, we don't take 
his name in vain, for instance. We don't talk about him casual. We don't talk about holy things casually because that would draw them from the holy place, from the holy, um, from the idea of holiness to the mundane. Uh, there, there was a, um, a king in Israel, uh, Israel, in ancient Israel, and he conquered a, uh, um, a city, and there was a, a, a temple to another god. And he decided to place a, a, a latrine, a public latrine, in the Holy of Holies of this temple to make it profane. To show that this God does not have power, this God is not to be regarded in any, any way, he's not to be respected. So this temple was profaned by putting a public toilet in the Holy of Holies. That's the, the total opposite of sacred. Sacred is about drawing the world into the presence of God, not drawing God into the world. Yeah, I really appreciate your explanation and breaking down kind of like each word and the meaning behind it. Sometimes a lot of these words kind of get conflated and um, but it reminds me of the, the story in, uh, in Exodus um, when Moses uh, is at like the burning bush and um, is talking with God and God commands him to take off his shoes because he's like on sacred ground. And just kind of the way that like God uses certain things to be able to showcase like, hey, we are moving beyond our physical world. We're moving something that's more holy, more sacred. And because of it, we have to change certain things to be there. Exactly. And uh, throughout the, uh, the Old Testament, we see the same thing. Um, removing the shoes to not desecrate the holy place uh, was one thing. Another thing was when uh, Isaiah saw God in the temple in, in Isaiah 6, the first vision of Isaiah. He sees God and his reaction is, Woe is me. I must die because I have seen God. And I'm a man with unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And I've seen God. I must die because the difference is too great. And I have no right to be so near to God. So there is a certain kind of awe when people, when prophets come into contact with the holy. And this awe is also represented when the high priest in the old temple once a year came to the, uh, into the Holy of Holies, standing before the, the Ark of the Covenant where God would reveal himself and there utter the name of God. Only once a year, only this, this high priest would do that. And this led to basically today nobody knowing the name of God in detail. Scholars will tell us we have some ideas of how it was pronounced, but we don't know. It was kept from everybody. Now, we'll not go into 
revelation of the name of God in, in modern times, different topic. But was the name kept secret or was it kept sacred? The problem was not anybody hearing the name. The problem was saying the name in the wrong context. I think another thing to add on top of this um, idea of keeping things sacred by keeping them separate is um, the people have to be prepared for that sacred experience. Um, you look in the Old Testament, there's tons of rituals and, and laws and practices to help people become ritually clean in order to enter into the temple. Um, there's washings and anointings, things that prepare those people. And in the same way, there's things that we have to do in order to be, in order to be prepared for the temple, um, like getting a temple recommend. That's one thing that we have to do and uh, to check ourselves to make sure that we are worthy to participate in those sacred experiences. So we're not in any way um, profaning those, those sacred uh, temple rituals. That's a very important thought. Thank you. Um, basically, in, in, in all religions, you have uh, contact with the holy. May it be seeing God or uh, experiencing something. Um, and, and Joseph Smith saw, uh, said, when he introduced the, the endowment, he said, um, it's not enough to know. We have to touch something. Uh, so this is a very personal experience of God, and you have to prepare for that. And for this reason, uh, there is, in all religions, you have holy space and holy time and probably holy person. So uh, the holy space is or sacred space, space is uh, consecrated for exactly that um, experience, to experience the holy, experience God. And uh, sacred time would be a festival. Usually, I mean, th this idea of, of uh, sacred uh, time and sacred place comes from... Um, uh, Mircea Eliade, uh, um, Romanian um, uh, scholar of uh, religious science who, who developed this idea. And he said that uh, the, the, the main idea of holy time, of festivals, of uh, uh, special services to God, is connected to God creating uh, the universe, creating heaven and earth. And just as God creates uh, heaven and earth, human beings create a sacred space. They create, they, they build a temple, for instance. And most temples in most cultures um, stand for the universe, especially the Temple of Solomon. Uh, it was built in, in seven periods, in, in six periods, and on the seventh, seventh there was uh, peace and rest. Uh, 
uh, and and those periods parallel the um, the creation story. And for these reasons, for this reason, many uh, scholars today say that the temple is creation, is the universe, and Eden was the first uh, temple. So human beings create the temple, the holy space, and celebrate holy time, the creation and the contact, the first contact point of, of God and, uh, and creation, basically. And we partake of this holy time. We, we, we engage in the work of God, and by doing so, we become like unto God. And that's, that's also the reason why we can talk about most things of the temple within the temple, but not without. My wife and I, we received our endowment on the very same day. I know she is in on the secret, if you so want. But I would not talk about many things in context in our living room because that's not sacred space. When we go to the temple, we can discuss those things. Now, it's, uh, I really appreciate your, your explanations and, and the details of going about it. Uh, but I do have a question, something that I know sometimes people struggle about is how much can we talk about the temple? And if so, is there anything particular that we can talk about? Because I know some people won't, won't mention anything about the temple and some people um, I'm trying to figure out what's the best things because it's, sometimes it's nice to be able to know, you know, if you're a new person, you're going in the first time and, and no one's telling you anything about it and you just kind of walk in super blind and it can be kind of an interesting experience. Um, and so what are some guidelines that you've used to be able to make sure that you're focusing the things that are sacred and keep them in the sacred space or things that um, are taught in the scriptures that we can be able to talk more about? Well, I would say uh, everything that has been published by the church about the temple, uh, those are things we can talk about outside of the temple. Nevertheless, I would uh, be very careful because uh, you, you, you know the, um, the saying of Jesus in, in Matthew 7, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Uh, which is interesting because uh, dogs back then was uh, a common um, name used for unbelievers. This verse, to me, it says to be careful if the person I'm talking to is able to understand what I say and is open to understand it or not. So um, if I talk with someone who is uh, opposed to the church, I wouldn't feel the spirit to talk about details. If I talk with, a, um, with someone preparing uh, for the temple, and uh, if the context is right and the spirit is there, 
there are a few things where in the ceremonies, in the liturgy, liturgies of the temple, uh, we say that we will not um, divulge them. And those are very few details. And those I would not, not talk about in detail outside of the temple. I would also not use temple language and say and also qualify that as temple language. I mean, in in uh, every every Sunday, we hear language that is used in the temple, but nobody says, "Now this is coming from the temple." On every second page of the standard works, we read something about the temple, or something uh, even in the language of the temple. Uh, but it doesn't say, well, this is temple-relevant. And uh, that's how I would keep it. But if I would give an overview of the temple, I think we can, that there is so much more than we can, that we can talk about than what we have to stay silent about outside of the temple. Great. Uh, thank you for answering that question. So if I could summarize, just because I really want to drive this point home, and you can correct me where I'm getting this wrong, Renee, there is a limited group of things that we promise God in the temple that we will not share. And so we can't share those because we've promised God not to. And then there's another group of things that are sacred details that we wouldn't just share openly because it would be inappropriate to do so. But in, d depending on the context, we could talk about it. We could talk about it when we go to the celestial room um, with the right people, or if somebody's preparing for the temple, maybe we could share a couple of those things. That's, that's a second group. And then a third group, for me, an important group of things that I wouldn't share is stuff that the Holy Ghost has revealed specifically to me. I wouldn't um, openly talk about, hey, this is what I learned at the temple today. Um, because that was meant specifically for me. If I felt impressed from the Spirit to share those things, then I would. Um, but without that impression, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's quite good. Yes, yes. We, we um, can read in, in uh, the House of the Lord by Talmage, I think it was. We can read that the endowment is about uh, the creation and the fall of Adam. And uh, the whole thing is about getting back to uh, God through Christ. It's an explanation of the... Um, and uh, there are single covenants we make during the, the endowment. And they are listed uh, in uh, temple preparation courses. And uh, they are... Uh, mentioned in general conference, so we can talk about those two. And then there are very, very few things that we can talk about just in the temple. And as you said, it's important to to understand uh, why the Lord wants the temple to be special, to be sacred. And I think it is, from my experience, uh, if we ponder the temple, if we, we receive revelation, if we study the scriptures looking for 
the temple and linking the scriptures to the temple, then we get things that are very personal and that transform us, which is the basic idea of the temple, to make us ready for celestial kingdom, to make us ready to be like unto God, which starts with character building. We have to build the same character as God has. We have to get to know him. We have to want to become like him. And uh, some of the aha moments that I had about the temple, you know, I once thought about writing a book about the temple. Uh, because I thought some of these things are so plain and never talked about, and they are so beautiful, and they link it all together. Wouldn't it be great for everybody to have that? And then I thought, those are special to me. Now, if I told you, and you were not in the same situation that brought forth this line of thinking, then they would not be special to you. They would be um, nice to know, but they wouldn't go to the heart. And on the other hand, they would keep you from thinking about the temple. You, For instance, if I tell you, whatever, there's um, on, the, um, on the floor in one of the temples, there's a... Um, a um, stylized version of the Mormon tulip. I'm, ju I'm just taking this because it's well known. You hear it when you go to uh, to the visitor center or if you go to open house in the temple and uh, this is one of the symbols. If it is there in that temple, uh, you will hear about it. So, uh, what does it mean? Why is it there? Is it just one thing because it's the Mormon tulip? Is it just there as thanks to uh, this tulip which helped uh, the, the pioneers survive? And if I hear this explanation, this is one thing. I stop thinking about symbols and about what else could they mean. And I'm fixed in the thinking of other people. Now, if we go into the deeper things is the wrong word, but I don't know a better word. Uh, if I go into details about what the endowment is and what some symbols of the endowment mean, I fixate your thinking on my way of thinking. And in this moment, the symbol loses meaning and weight. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've noticed it a few times, even with like, the scriptures, and sometimes will be uh, someone will share a scripture, and I'm like, I've never saw that verse in that, that context before. But obviously the Holy Spirit spoke to this person, and they're able to, to have that, uh, that sacred moment with God. And while I've had that verse in a very different context, and God's able to teach me using that same verse, but in a very different matter. Um, and so I've, I've certainly learned yet, sometimes you have to be careful when you talk about certain things to make sure that um, it's not shown that it's like the only interpretation, but something that we have to go to God and go to the Holy Spirit uh, and have them teach us more about this. Exactly. And whenever someone says this means only this or that, 
uh, I'm careful. Uh, and and we know that uh, the ancient uh, Israelite way of doing things, of, of talking, uh, was not fixated on one meaning. They even said, uh, if, you, if you read the Talmud, you read, um, there's a verse and it says, well, don't read this verse only this way, but with other uh, vowels, it would mean this. Think about what the whole verse means with these other vowels. Then look up where is this word and the other word uh, used in another verse and get the context there and connect it everything and get a, a beautiful picture and not just one line of thinking. And if I could make a little side note to our listeners, I hope that this podcast doesn't become the, um, you know, the definitive answers to all of these temple questions that you have. I hope that you continue to think about things and ponder on them and receive your own answers. We just hope that this is a starting point, that this is something that you can launch from to get a deeper understanding of what the temple is and what the temple means. Very good point. I think it's necessary to give enough information so that you that a new one a new person uh, understands what ways can we think and where can we look without just narrowing uh, the, the path yeah absolutely and hopefully this is a, a place to be able to come and see things in a different way but then for you to go back and, and study it out in your own minds and, and the scriptures in the temple yourself um, another thing that that's kind of on top of my head uh, or been thinking about is when I was on my mission, I, I met with a lot of Protestant Christians and um, they were always very confused about how we have, you know, sacred and secret things in the temple. And, and because of their, you know, interpretation is that like Jesus taught everything from the housetops and that there was nothing that was secret and that was given to everyone liberally. And I think uh, in Matthew 10, um, 26 and 27, he says, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, you shall speak in light. And what you hear in the ear, that you preach upon their housetops. And so, uh, Renee, since you said you've had a lot of experience talking about um, different aspects of different religions, um, how would you respond to someone who had that, that question? Well, first, I would like to go a bit behind this question. Why is this verse used? Why uh, do Protestants have a problem uh, with uh, things not spelled out directly? Uh, because only if we get the mindset, we can understand what they're really asking. Uh, and you have to keep in mind that when um, Martin Luther and uh, John Calvin and the others uh, started the Reformation, they, they came to a point where they said, well, we cannot continue within the Catholic Church and they don't want us. They, they've kicked us out. So we have to start new churches because they've kicked us out and we say they are wrong. And uh, when they did that, they recognized that obviously they didn't have authority. So there were two ways to answer that. One was, but uh, we don't need authority. And the other way would have been to say, well, now we have a problem. They had authority. 
which we don't have, so we are the, the broken path, basically. So this is not the right thing, <laughs> not, not what they wanted. So they talked about the priesthood of all believers, and they rejected a special priesthood. And in time, they rejected, uh, they rejected uh, the special place of the sacred. So while Catholics um, think of their church buildings as temples, and also the Orthodox do that, Protestants don't think of their churches as temples. You can set up uh, any table and um, have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper there, and there is nothing that needs special place or sacred place, sacred time, or sacred vestments. And uh, sometimes if you go to very liberal uh, Protestant uh, church services, you will see joy about being with God or talking about God. You, you will have a fun time, but you will not have, you know, if, if you go to a Catholic or Orthodox uh, Mass, you will, you will have this, this awe of standing in the presence of God. Uh, and uh, the, Protest the, the, the Orthodox and the Catholic uh, Christians, they understand the sacred and to keep it sacred. For Protestants, because of their tradition and history, this is strange. So therefore, they take this scripture that you talked about and say, it says we should talk uh, about everything and whatever is uh, not spoken openly is bad. They forget things like the, the verse that I quoted before about uh, not casting the pearls to the dogs. They forget that um, there are numerous, numerous places in the, the New Testament talking about mysteries. Uh, like, for instance, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. That's First uh, Corinthians 2, 6 and 7. And there are numerous verses like this. Even uh, There's even one place where Paul says that the apostles are uh, the ministers of Christ and the um, uh, he says let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God now if you translate mysteries it's just the Greek word of for secrets so you don't need a steward for something that, that doesn't exist so they take one verse out of context or two, two connected verses, and blow them up. Would I say this in, this in these words to a Protestant friend? No. But I would talk about this verse in detail. So 
basically uh, the the um, what is it Mark 10 I think right I don't have it here now so basically he says Matthew 10 uh, Matthew 10 Matthew 10 let's see so he says that uh, the Pharisees call him uh, to be in league they say he's in league with uh, with uh, Lucifer with with Satan with uh, Belzebub and he then says uh, whatever is hidden will be unhidden would be would be revealed so he's not talking at all about uh, liturgy and and uh, mysteries of the faith he's talking about those guys says I'm in league with the devil but to be honest they are in the league with the devil and it will be made plain that they are the bad guys and that we are the good guys so it doesn't talk about the mysteries of the faith. I think this connects really well to something you said as we were preparing for this podcast episode, is that um, the, the temple isn't secret because there's no information that's exclusive to the temple. Not, I mean, there's a couple things, but not really. Those are the things that we've covenanted not to share outside of the temple. Um, but everything that's taught in the, in the temple is in the scriptures we can we can go there and learn the same things but the reason that we keep the temple sacred is because of the experience that's there it's it's a transforming experience and that's not something that you can get just talking about it openly with somebody else we you can't watch the endowment video on youtube and have the same temple experience that you would if you were sitting there like joseph smith said it's something that you need to touch in order to receive that's right. Uh, I remember talking with a friend when she prepared for the temple and um, before she was baptized, she went online and uh, she wanted to know everything. So she watched the endowment um, online in uh, on YouTube and she was a bit scared because she said, now I've seen that. How can I have the right frame of mind? how will I understand what, what's happening there? And I told her to not be afraid because her mindset has already changed. And we talked about, well, basically I gave her uh, a book by Margaret Barker, uh, Temple uh, Mysticism. And I told her to read it as a temple preparation. And to ask questions whenever she wanted, and she asked not many questions. Then after her endowment, she came back and I, and I asked her, now, how was it? And she said, marvelous. I cannot describe it. If I wanted to tell somebody, I couldn't. Because how can I talk about this and have the other one understand it if he hasn't experienced it and i think this ties into what you uh, what, what you said we even if we wanted to 
we cannot communicate that which one ha uh, which has to be experienced it's it's like the, the the old thing about tell me how salt tastes without saying salty you cannot there are some fundamentals that cannot be communicated only experienced right um I think I mentioned that uh, the situation is special for our Protestants, bro Protestant brothers and sisters. Uh, it uh, makes sense to go back to other Christian denominations and Christian history. For instance, in the 2nd and 3rd century um, AD, the the creed the 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 apostles creed the the most basic creed in in um, the Christian world uh, was given to the um, we would say investigator the catechumen uh, line upon line and only shortly before the baptism. Uh, would would the the person get the the whole uh, text and would have to remember it and at baptism before baptism he would be it, it was within the liturgy he would be asked about the the single paragraphs much like we do with a baptism interview or a temple interview they would be asked do you believe in God the Father the Almighty and in his son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost? And the answer would be yes. And then at another point in time in, in the liturgy, they would recite, they would give back the creed. But it would not be information or wording that just about anybody would have. It, it would not be written down and given out to people. Uh, with... Uh, baptism and with uh, the Eucharist people would not be allowed to be in the room without being baptized believers and for the Orthodox this is even done today so you can attend uh, um, an Orthodox uh, service and then there's a point where they say I don't know the exact wording, sorry, but they basically say those who are not yet baptized, please leave now because the rest is too holy. Uh, with the Catholic Church, uh, in the, the Second uh, Council of Vatican, they discussed if the um, the prayer said before Eucharist may be translated to, to national languages or not if it should stay in Latin because it's too holy to give out to everybody. They then decided no because in the original Latin was the language of the people so it cannot be hidden now and not hidden back then. But they introduced uh, the words mystery of the faith at that point. What is the mystery of the faith? It's the life and death and resurrection of Christ. That's the mystery of faith, which ties back now 
we talk about uh, the the ordinances of the priesthood. Catholics and Protestants talk about sacraments. The Orthodox call the sacraments or ordinances, they call them mysteries. And they understand that when Paul said that um, he is a steward of the mysteries, he was especially talking about he has authority to direct ordinances. So for non-Protestants, this is very clear and not a problem at all. It's just within the Protestant mindset and tradition that we have a problem. And I think it becomes a problem in the church because that Protestant culture seems to ooze into into the church a lot of times, whether because the culture that we live in or or converts that come in. Um, it's it's something that we have to work around, it's something that the apostles have been trying to 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 teach us to have a sense of the sacred. Yeah, one of my good friends invited me into uh, Eastern Orthodox Church a while back, and uh, it was the first time I ever attended uh, a church like that. And it was very interesting to notice, like a lot of the symbolicness and the liturgy and the things we were doing. And because of my temple background, I was able to recognize a few few things. And it was a big shock because I'm used to the the Protestant um, ideas and uh, and things. And so it was interesting to see that you know other churches do practice kind of that that higher level church and. Um, and so it was a very great learning opportunity as well. And I think you you just threw in a, a very nice uh, uh, term, high church. In the Anglican uh, tradition, I think, they discern between high church and low church. Uh, so low church is, uh, there is not much, ma- much mention of priesthood. There is uh there are, the liturgy is simple with uh much participation of uh the the people in the pews and uh high church is you have uh priesthood you have uh special uh priestly garments you have uh special words that have to be used in the right uh order and context you have special movements um yeah, and, and so these two aspects, we have both of them. We have the low church every Sunday. We have the high church in the temple. And uh, this is a bit of a difficulty because people get so used to the low church uh, gospel, so to speak, that they feel sometimes foreign in the temple where every word is is prescribed now the i think both both sides are important and that's why we have them but there is a a danger with the low church um, attitude you know you you said it i'm from from austria from vienna so this is uh, the old continent with old traditions and if we go to a theater uh, we do it in sunday's best we um, in theaters, be it musical or opera or real theater, you don't eat. You sit basically, uh, you don't uh, hang there in your seat, but you sit straight, you're concentrating on what's happening. 
And a few years ago, I was in in London, and uh, my wife and I we um, we watched uh, The Lion King, and it was this this old beautiful the- uh, theater. And again, we were in our Sunday's best, basically, and we came there, and people were in shorts. They would sit, uh, well, they wouldn't have their feet on the uh, front, uh, on the seat before them, but almost there. They would eat popcorn and ice cream, and uh, we thought, well, they don't know what... uh, they can't experience, you know. Uh, and sometimes, if I when I when I sit in church and I see people who, um, young people who sit there as they would uh, f- almost fall asleep or or you know just just hang there and only their mind is connected and not their body. If their mind is connected, sometimes it's not even that. Uh, I miss the reverence. And if you go to a Catholic or Orthodox Orthodox church, you will not see this kind of behavior. You see people who are reverent. Now, the other side is when I see, I I mentioned a a, a Protestant uh, church service that was very fun. I sometimes miss um, singing about God and gospel topics with um, with joy and upbeat. Even our more modern songs, like like for FSY or so, they are those those long stretched ballads. Uh, and uh, sorry, for me they are not that uh, that joyful. So. We need both aspects, but we need to know where is the place to do what and how and how to integrate it in our lives. And I think that the more we go to the temple, the more we understand how this high church approach helps us transform, the more we can see what happens when there, when we receive, when we partake of the sacrament how our body language can help us approach the holy, the sacred in a better way. Yeah, I appreciate um, your analogies. And um, I have a lot of relatives who live in Germany. And I remember uh, visiting there one time and just being just a young American kid, I was just kind of goofing around. And I remember my, my great uncle was very kind of like, disturbed just kind of like how irreverent i was but american standards was, was fine um and so i didn't totally didn't understand like what he was like getting at when i was younger but now that i've become older i understand there's there are certain places to act and certain places where you can do different things and it's the same thing when it comes to these these sacred opportunities is that the lord has set aside certain things for us to remember time um and even just like you, you talked about fsy when i was an fsy counselor we were running around doing all these fun activities, but then on certain times we were reverent, we were quiet, um, and we were reflective on, on the atonement of Christ. Um, but Renee, I just want to say thank you for, for being on this podcast. You've been uh, just a phenomenal wealth of knowledge and, and inspiration and um, has definitely helped me try to be better in, in my, my temple worship. Um, and Jacob, unless you have any other questions, I would love it 
for you, Renee, to be able to maybe share about your, your, your testimony. I have one more question before we do testimonies. Renee, if there was one thing that our listeners should do to prepare for the temple, one thing that you'd like to invite them to do, what would it be? That's a hard one because <laughs> there's so many things <laughs> on my mind. Uh, what be the one thing? Um, I think the one thing would be to understand that the temple is a journey. You only get your endowment once. But to really do the journey, to really understand it, you have to go back again and again and again. And with every journey, it's not that you have to make the journey in one step. But you have to give yourself time and take one step after the other. And sometimes you don't know where you're going exactly or why the way is the way it is. And some things sometimes may seem strange. And if something like this happens, start from a position of faith. Ask, why do we do this? Why is it important? What does it tell me? From a position of faith knowing that there is an answer, even if you don't have it now. The other thing, uh, you know, I, I, I once talked with a, a young lady and she said, why do we do, do this and that in the temple? And she didn't really want to know. She wanted to complain because she couldn't deal with the strange the things that she was not used to. But if you don't want the answers, you will never understand. So be open and really, really willing to question, but not to second guess. Thank you, Renee. I think that's, I think that's really important advice for people. Um, I do want to bear my testimony. Well, little quick testimony. Um, one of my, one of the most profound scriptures that's affected me as I've thought about the temple comes from Alma chapter 12. And it says, it is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under a strict command that they shall not impart only according to the portion of his word, which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence, which they give unto him. To me, that means that we prepare to receive the mysteries of God by diligently seeking to understand and also giving heed to the things that we already know. So the commandments that we know about, the covenants that we've made, we have to be following those things. Uh, we have to heed those things and we have to diligently seek for more and only then will we be ready to receive more. Thank you for your testimony. May I add mine? Absolutely. Um, I've been going to the temple for the last um, at least 30 years. Um, and uh, I really can say that uh, the temple is the most important place on earth because of the things that happen there. And uh, 
the endowment helps me understand my Savior Jesus Christ far better than anything else. Not because the temple is something totally different, but because it ties together my personal life and the promises that God makes to us. And I know that there is no way in heaven, on earth, or in hell that Joseph Smith could have come up with the endowment than revelation from God. And I know from experience the blessing that is the endowment and the power from on high that comes there. And that we really be understand what it means to become and to be a child of God when we're in the temple. And I want to end, end this and say it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Yeah, I'll uh, add my, my testimony and um, really thinking about what, what you talked about, the, the journey of going to the temple. Uh, and when I first was attending, it took me a while to really kind of understand what was happening. And as I kept going, I, I noticed that I myself was changing to, to be more in the character of Christ. Um, and I think it's because I'm going to a sacred place and I'm communicating with the heavenly being. I'm in his presence and I'm able to, to, to learn from him through his Holy Holy Spirit and how grateful for I'm to be able to, to be part of um, his faith and to be able to have that relationship and to be able to, to go to a temple and to experience the sacredness and the holiness that it is. Uh, share these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Cornerstone and Fairy Temple Prep Podcast. We hope that you found this discussion insightful. The Cornerstone Podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions and beliefs expressed in this podcast are the views of the person who expressed them and do not necessarily represent the position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Fair Latter-day Saints.